Chelsea Fairless. And this is the Every Outfit Podcast coming to you from two different countries and two wildly different time zones. Two different continents. I am in Australia. If my audio sounds like absolute shit, I am so sorry. I cannot help it. My in-laws internet connection is out of my control. It is late at night here in Los Angeles. It is early evening where you are the following day, Mm -hmm. I thought of you as you were landing in Sydney because I was seeing the Sydney Sweetie film Anyone But You, which is set in Sydney, Australia. Is it good? It's very cute. I have no idea why they decided to release it at Christmas and not wait six weeks for Valentine's Day. What are they planning for Valentine's Day? Sydney Sweeney has something else going on then. A film called Lisa Frankenstein, which I saw the trailer for, which is the directorial debut of Robin Williams' daughter, Zelda, and it is a very Heathers-influenced Frankenstein story where a, a girl in the 80s brings back a boy from the dead, played by Cole Sprouse. That sounds delightful. I have to say, I think you should see anyone but you because Rachel Griffith plays Sydney Sweeney's mom, which was a shock to me for multiple reasons. One, that she's like <laughs> Sydney Sweeney mom age, which I guess... If you're an actress in your 50s, that's just what you're relegated to of like, yeah, you have a child who's in their late 20s, early 30s, right? But two, there is a joke in the film because she plays an American and the joke is that once she's landed in Australia, she keeps doing an Australian accent. They never do it. Rachel Griffith, who is Australian, maybe that's a bit that got cut for the film, but I kept waiting for that, for her to break out her flawless Australian accent because she is an Aussie. Look at her. She rose to prominence playing a psychotic sex addict. And now here she is playing Sydney Sweeney's mom in a rom-com. Wife to Dermot Mulrooney, who is also now just a dad of late 20s, early 30s girl age. Where do we want to start? It feels like the Golden Globes happened a long time ago now, but we still have to talk about them. Oh, I have many thoughts to share. This was the first year I usually host everyone at my house for the red carpet and different award shows. I'm glad I did it this year because to my utter shock, when I went to turn on my cable, which I pay good money for, for occasions (laughs) just like this, I found Sweet Home Alabama playing where E's red carpet should be. And I was like, okay, it's on a new network now. NBC owns E, so maybe that's why they're not doing it anymore. I go over to CBS, Chelsea. There is a football game playing until the award show started. See, that's homophobia right there. What did CBS think? That the football audience was going to leave CBS on when they saw a bunch of self-important actors give each other golden idols? Give me my red carpet. That's so fucked up. Also, I feel like Laverne Cox has been doing a really good job at Fashion Police and they should continue on that path. So it is truly shocking that there was no E red carpet. Like that is my number one source for red carpet coverage. So I had to watch the Variety pre-show on YouTube, I think. You had to watch it. That's all we were left with. Well, to be fair, I do think that Mark Malkin is quite good at interviewing people, but it seems like his colleagues were struggling. I don't want to name names, but 
you know. Rachel Smith, who immediately I was like, who is this? Who is she? And Paul looked her up and was like, she was Miss Tennessee. I guess she is an E.T. correspondent. It was an E.T. X variety on YouTube collaboration. See, when I was watching that, I realized it's like, I think with red carpet coverage, we need to de-emphasize the interviews and emphasize just random footage of celebrities arriving because nothing makes me more upset than when I see a C-list actor being interviewed and I see like Angelina Jolie walk right (laughs) behind him. And I'm like, can you please move the camera? Like, I don't give a fuck about this first time nominee. I've never seen such dance monkey dance behavior from a press event. Like, I'm sure the the A-list actors who did have to stand for these interviews were like, you know what? I long for a Joan Rivers or a Juliana Rancic to just like ask me about my outfit and casually give me body dysmorphia because (laughs) Chelsea, at one point, a red carpet host asked Willem Dafoe, I think it was Mark Malkin, asked Willem Dafoe and Yargos Lanthimos to do an interpretive dance to explain the plot of poor things. That's abusive. Time's up. (laughs) But at least they have the good sense to have a gay man interviewing people. More gay men need to be involved in award shows. Should we start with the red carpet stuff and then get into the show or talk about the show and then do red carpet? Um, Let's talk about red carpet. So who is your best dressed? This might be boring, but Margot Robbie and Armani. As superstar Barbie, which I don't know if you noticed... The superstar Barbie that she's referencing from the late 70s had a second outfit that was a black version that she then switched into for the after party, committing to the bit to the bitter end, even though she was not awarded. I guess she got one award. I'm with you. I, too, continue to be thrilled by these archival Barbie looks. And a lot of them have what is almost like a drag sensibility. Like there's a campiness, there's a humor, there's a self-awareness to them, which is what makes it work. Because usually people show up doing full 1950s old Hollywood glam and they don't realize how campy it is. I will say I felt like this red carpet was a little more minimalist. Like I also like Carrie Russell and Jill Sander. And when I saw her in that outfit, it just made me long for Narciso Rodriguez. And I was like, where did he go? Where is he? He did like a Zara collection recently that we forgot to talk about. But you know, he's around. I think he still does quite well with his fragrances. And I think he still does maybe some custom stuff. I don't know. I need to look into this more. What about you? What was your best dressed? My best dressed is Rosamund Pike in Dior unquestionably the Carrie Bradshaw of the event. (laughs) I think the Philip Tracy hat, this like crazy apple shaped hat with a veil was a huge risk, but it really paid off. Yeah. It's just fun to see someone do something high fashion at the Golden Globes, you know, like you could have worn that to the Met Gala. Yeah. Did you hear her explanation as to why she chose that Philip Tracy hat? It's because she said that she smashed her face over Christmas. It was like, how, well, how am I going to get around this but then during the award show she took it off and she was her face was pristine yeah it's like girl we've seen your face like we saw it last night when you went to the night before party that's amy dunn from gone girl coming out she's like you know what he's gonna ask me dumbass questions i'm gonna give him a dumbass answer a slight digression which is can we all agree to leave the words mother cunt and slay out of fashion discourse like 
I get that it's a meme now, but Chell, I read a tweet <laughs> describing Rosamund Pike's outfit as she flew the mother plane directly into the World Serve Center and Contagon. Okay, I'm not going to laugh at that because it would be inappropriate, but not no. I too am sick of mother, but I think that there's a time and a place for cunt. I just don't know how else to describe things, I guess. That's fair enough. I will say another best dress for me was Jeremy Allen White, but that's mostly because this man does something to me, Chelsea, as did that sheer shirt he was wearing. Wait, this is the bear guy? This is the bear guy who dropped a new Calvin Klein ad earlier in the week, which then... All of his co-stars in The Bear, which won Best Comedy Series, were forced by every interviewer to be shown him half naked. And Iowa Debery just kept like reminding them, like, this is my co-worker. Like, what do you want me to say? That's so annoying. It's like how everyone was forced to smell the Jacob Elordi bathwater candle. It's like, don't reward this Etsy seller. This is what happens when you don't allow interviewers to ask, who are you wearing? Remember when there was the whole controversy where it's like, women are so much more than that. You can't just ask them that. It's like, well, guess what? Now they have to play little dumbass games on the red carpet. Are you happy? No, that's terrible. I'm with you. You have to say who you're wearing. Do you have another best dress? Hunter Schaefer in Prada. Finally, something that feels modern and fresh. Finally, something that doesn't feel like sad, sad drag, like drag in a bad way. I think she looked like a chic ghost and I would love her to haunt my crazy ass. I love it. Did you notice what Andrew Scott was wearing? Because Louis Vitrell had a great tweet. I cannot take credit for this, which is he compared what Andrew Scott was wearing to Laurie Metcalf at the end of Scream 2, the white suit. (laughs) Wait, I didn't see this. So I have no idea what. Hold on. Let me just wait for Tat to just do what you need to do. (laughs) She's trying to like shovel ice like quietly. It's like, babe, just do it like <laughs> one cube at a time. Do you have any more noises to make? <laughs> Shut up. Thank you. Bye. I think I have one last best dressed, which is Billie Eilish and Willie Chavaria. She is now also styled by Andrew McCobble, who is styling Margot Robbie and Carrie Mulligan presently. And to my knowledge, this is the first time they've worked together. And I just love that she looks like such a fucking freak. Like someone needs to be this person at an award show. Yeah, I don't think we got into Rachel Smith, who is the very high energy woman who was doing the red carpet for Variety as well, trying to giddily ask about Billie Eilish's outfit. She was like, okay, girl, what do we got going on here? It's like, oh, these are two wildly different energies. It was very like Dover Street Market from the ankles up, but then it got really mod cloth from the ankles down because she said she was wearing some like shoes she bought at a vintage store. She's a real girl from Highland Park, Chell. (laughs) I really can't help but psychoanalyze this particular choice. I would have gone for a boot personally. All I can think about is how the interviewer, when Billy was describing her outfit, was like, yeah, it's like a skort discussing her oversized Kevin Smith-esque khaki jorts. It did look fab. I was into it. I don't want to say worst dressed, but who was not the best dressed? It's got to be Florence Pugh. 
her blood oath with Valentino is just stylistically taking her down. Well, it would be one thing if they gave the girl lining from time to time. No, at this point, this is Florence Pugh asking for sheer dress after sheer Valentino dress. I don't even think the dress is that bad. I mean, I'm so sick of sheer dresses. I wish people would stop. It doesn't feel modern or correct anymore. It feels like it's a look that peaked like 10 years ago whenever like Beyonce wore a naked dress to the Met Gala or like whenever that was. But for me, it's the hair that got me. I stand a gender non-conforming queen, but there's something about like a faux hawk and a gown that I just like can't hang with. But that's what I'm saying is I don't think this is a stylist influence. It's very clear over the last two years that this is Florence Pugh's influence about what she thinks she should be wearing. Yeah, she's pink in a Valentino dress. No shade to pink, at least pink kind of I don't know, created her own weird ass look, whether I think it looks good or not. But there's something about this that just doesn't hit. Uh, speaking of gender non-conforming looks, I would imagine you also have thoughts on Barry Keoghan in, in Louis Vuitton. <laughs> I don't know if it's gender non-conforming. He does look a bit like a lesbian. It's very magician. It's very like the one time I went to the Magic Castle, every man looked like that. It's like, I just won the Olympic gold medal for soccer, and I'm celebrating at the Magic Castle. Yeah, I don't think that like people should dress like this that aren't Pharrell. Like, your average man cannot carry the burden of a checkerboard pant and a wallet chain and a vest. And whatever the fuck all the jewelry he had going on. I just like that as Barry Keoghan becomes more and more famous in Hollywood, he's going the Colin Farrell route, which is he's just getting more and more fake tan. I can kind of see that. Speaking of Louis Vuitton, this definitely isn't my worst dress because she looked amazing and Oprah is my queen, of <laughs> course, but she couldn't walk in that dress. It needed a slit in the back. Yeah, it was very reminiscent of Kim trying to walk it at the Dolce & Gabbana show. When she walked out on stage to present, my mother-in-law was like, wow, she's getting old, isn't she? And of course, like inside i was like no she's not old she's about to turn 70 but she hikes three to five miles a day according to that people profile i just read she's not feeble but you are feeble when you're trapped in this louis vuitton prison i like to think that they got her up the stairs hannibal lecter style just like <laughs> roll, rolled her up <laughs> if she could barely walk across the stage there's no way she got up those stairs either up or down to get anywhere at the Golden Globes. Well, the other thing about it that was kind of whack is that like it didn't look like it was purple in most lights. Like it was obviously beads that were purple but had some sort of royal blue sheen. Like it looked like the HBO Max or the, excuse me, the Max Royal Blue in most lights. It's gotta look purple. It's gotta look purple. Yeah, well, clearly she didn't clear it with the producers. I would imagine Oprah was like, my stylist needs to go. During rehearsals, we got to put the dress under light because if it's not purple, I can't come. <laughs> really, they should have tested it more. Who else was not my fave? You know, Selena Gomez. Armani peaked with Margot Robbie. They forgot about our girl, Selena Gomez. I have always felt with Selena Gomez's red carpet, it's a bit hit or miss. I don't ever exactly know what she's trying to go for. This just kind of felt like it was out of a different time. And speaking of people that were dressed in a different time period, did you see Kate Beckinsale? 
I have no idea what she was wearing, but it literally looked like she was styled by one of those like sinister gays that makes like dresses for like child beauty queens. Yeah, I not only saw Kate Beckinsale on the red carpet and during the Golden Globes, I also saw her Instagram post where she had done a full editorial photo shoot like she's a Kardashian. And I was like, oh, no, no. Did we start this now where this is going to be a regular thing where we must do photo shoots before we even make it to the red carpet? Well, some people do that. I think that's normal. You see a lot of celebs like post their picture of them like in the corner suite at Sunset Tower or whatever. You know, I get it. Don't pay Getty images for that shit. I don't know. There was something about this. Again, it's the sheerness. We have to stop with this. Same thing with... um. Emily Blunt in McQueen. I can see this girl's legs. Like, it's not right. You know, the legs are fire. It's not about that. It doesn't look correct. And Kate Beckinsale, there's something about that in particular that was very like real housewife at the Renaissance tour. It is giving Dorit Kimsley. You are correct in that. Also, the thing about the Globes is we all know it's in January. Yes, it's Los Angeles. I'm going to tell you now, Chelsea, there was a freeze warning the other day here. Wear a velvet. Wear a wool. It's okay. Well, Julianne Moore wore a wool. That Bottega dress was apparently like 50 pounds or something. She's still at the Beverly Hilton. She's just weighed down by that dress. She's like, I'm coming. (laughs) She couldn't make it to the governor's ball. Speaking of which, what the fuck is the governor's ball? Can you explain this to me? Because I feel like every award season, there's some new thing that everyone goes to that I just don't understand. So the governor's ball is an award ceremony is 14 years old. It is... It's basically the Academy Awards, but they pre-select four people to give them the awards. And then during the ceremony, I'm sure you remember, there's a portion of the Academy Awards ceremony where they're like, here are the people, here's the person we gave the the Gene Herschel Award. Oh, okay. You know when the Independent Spirit Awards were like, the Schmemmies, like they were the shitty award show. And now, well, one, it's the most exciting award show. But two, it's like fully televised and there's an e-red carpet for it. Like now the governor's award is televised or at least there are clips of it the next day online. So it's coming up as a worthwhile award ceremony to go to. So who won? Angela Bassett won. Okay, amazing. The editor of The Big Chill. And uh, I don't know, two other people. We'll find out at the Oscars who those other two people were (laughs) you gotta have some surprises in life so back to the globes you know we get told a lot that we're bitches and we hate everything so i thought maybe we could give an award for most improved we're not exactly shitting on someone but it is a bit of a backhanded compliment but we're encouraging these stars of like you did a good job keep going in this direction okay so who are you encouraging (sighs) i would say my most improved is elizabeth olsen in vivian westwood And I'm sure you're going to say, Lauren, Elizabeth Olsen looks great on the red carpet. What are you talking about? And I say, nay, Chelsea, I dare you to Google some of her Avengers red carpet looks. Okay, fine. Because I definitely haven't seen any of them. Elizabeth. Okay, that is shocking. Look, her management probably forced her to dress like this. They're like, you have to look like someone that could be on Roni or something. You need to dress like someone that is the wife of someone who's going to the daytime Emmys. Yes. But I will say, you know, there's a lot of talk of of Nepo babies. And obviously she's the sister of the Olsen twins. I've never seen a Nepo style inclusion, like her refusing 
habitually to ever wear the robe. No, it's true. It's true. It is upsetting. It makes me think like you hate your sisters. Well, I more think that Elizabeth Olsen is like, I'm my own person. I don't want to be seen as the sister of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. But you know she has to have a little bit of jealousy when she reads articles about how like suddenly Jennifer Lawrence wears one the row trench and she's the most stylish woman of 2023. Yeah, Elizabeth Olsen's like, I don't want to be beholden to a brand that is one of the most beloved and respected brands in the fashion industry today. So who would you say is the most improved? You know what? I think I'm going to go with Taylor. Oh. I wouldn't say that Taylor was my best dressed, but I do think that she didn't look like a magician's assistant and that that is an improvement for the Midnight's era. Are we closing a chapter on the Midnight's era? Well, she's in sequins, so who knows? But I think that this Gucci gown did what it needed to do. She wasn't wearing a turtleneck for once. There was no exposed midriff. Like, we've had some improvements. It was neutral, if nothing else. I mean, it was bright green, but sure. But in the scheme of red carpet outfits, it wasn't the most attention-seeking thing that a person could wear. I'm just happy to see her in something that isn't florals. Florals are shooting stars. All right, enough about the fashion. Let us be the 1300 person to also say that Joe Coy sucked as the award show host. You know what? I'm going to be a contrarian and say that he served cunt. He slayed. He is mother. I truly think the Golden Globes producers went through Netflix's stand-up comedy specials and asked everyone until Joe Coy said yes. Jim Gaffigan must have been the call right after Joe Coy said yes. Well, Jim Gaffigan certainly outshone... J- Wait, what's his name? Joe Coy. The only thing I know about this man is that he dated Chelsea Handler. And the only reason why I know this is because I listened to some random episode of Glennon Doyle's podcast where Chelsea Handler was on and she was like crying and talking about the breakup and stuff. That's always stuck out in my mind because Chelsea Handler kind of intimated that he sucked. And I was like, "Uh, is that Chelsea Handler post breakup? Does he suck? Turns out I think she was right. He does suck. I don't know. That wasn't the vibe that I got. I think it was more of like an adult breakup where they just realized it wasn't going to work. Like she was like crying and stuff and not because he was like some sociopathic nightmare. But who knows? Wouldn't be my choice after watching this. Although he's being criticized so intensely for this that it actually kind of makes me feel bad for him. I understand what you're saying. Like it is a public flogging that we have not seen in a minute. But also remember, Chelsea, that the second that a joke didn't go well, he immediately threw his writers under the bus. No, he sucks. He sucks. I'm obviously he sucks. Like I did not love. People need to stop with the like, well, he only got the gig 10 days ago. You know, uh, how, how could anyone have done better with that? Um, I'll tell you who. Any gay man or pop culture obsessed female, because at the very least, they would have already seen most of the films and had at least three hot takes about them. Yeah, I think one of the most egregious instances of Hollywood gatekeeping is the fact that all of these award shows aren't hosted by gay men. It's disgusting. And I get it. Last year, they kind of course corrected Gerard. Gerard? How do you say his name? I forget. Gerard Carmichael. Gerard Carmichael hosted. And that was good. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. I remember we talked about it. But I just think that like gay men, it's their culture. You know, award shows, I mean. Award season. I get it. Like it worked with Billy Crystal for so many years 
hosting the Oscars, but like he is of Hollywood. Like he is an actor himself. He hobnobs with most of the people that were in the audience. So they have a familiarity with him and he also knows where the line is. And then people point to like, well, it worked for Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais intimidates most of the people in that room. They want to impress him. That's why they laugh when he insults them. Who is Joe Coy? True. I'm sure the reaction he wanted was, it's a tonal difference, same sentence, but tonal difference. Who's this Joe Coy? Instead of like, who the fuck is Joe Coy? <laughs> I didn't understand most of his monologue because he rushed through the punchlines. Like the Taylor Swift joke, I didn't understand what the punchline was till I saw it later, which is that they show her more at football games than at the Golden Globes, which isn't even a joke. Like we're not comedians, but we can even understand. Like that's not a fucking punchline. Well, it's not a huge diss to her either it's more of a diss to the nfl i think when she took her sip of champagne i was like girl this isn't that bad <laughs> although other things he said were obviously borderline whatever i don't remember honestly i blocked it out i couldn't tell you one thing he said i also don't have sympathy for the golden globes for the mere fact that like they did this to themselves they did not have a regular host until 2010 like they could go back to that. Like, remember the Golden Globes when we grew up? It was just a bunch of presenters and they did bits and it was great. And one time, Christine Lottie missed getting her award because she was in the bathroom and Robin Williams had to jump on stage. That was fun. Yes, but I don't think the solution is ever not having a host. Like, if the host is so bad that the public at large is contemplating the benefits of not having a host at all, then you just don't know who to hire. All right, do you have some alternative host ideas? I would love to see... Cole Escola host a major award show as the ghost of Mary Pickford or something like that would be an excellent Oscars. I would love that does sound like a bit more for the independent spirit awards, but I love where you're going with this. <laughs> We've talked about John Waters before. He definitely should be hosting this kind of shit. But also it's like if you just hired like a Matt Rogers, a Bowen Yang, then we wouldn't get those terrible jokes about AI. A lot of people pointed to why don't you just get Bo and Yang and, and Matt Rogers to host, but also it moved away from NBC to now CBS. And so they don't have that infrastructure of Saturday Night Live or even the, the late shows. Like CBS doesn't have currently a late, late show. They're about to. So they don't have anyone to pull from. I would say Matteo Lane. I don't know if you know him. You would love him. He actually follows every outfit. I do not know him. He looks like a little Tom of Finland. He's incredibly funny. He speaks multiple languages. He would eat this fucking show up. Why not get RuPaul? Yes, RuPaul, especially for the Emmys. No one in human history has won more Emmys than RuPaul. Imagine all of the different brocade blazers that RuPaul would change into during that telecast. You know who would love to do bits? Taylor Swift. If RuPaul was hosting, you would get bits with Taylor Swift, with Meryl Streep. They would all be happy to do stuff. We gotta get Ru in there. Shall we get into noteworthy winners and losers? I've already forgotten, honestly. Robert Downey Jr. won Best Supporting Actor. Previous to this, Charles Melton has been winning for May-December, so I would say it's looking pretty good for Robert Downey Jr. to finally get his first Oscar. Okay, but when they said that Robert Downey Jr. had two Golden Globes already, I was like, wait, what? 
And then I found out that it was for Sherlock Holmes, which I never saw, and Ally McBeal, which I did see, although I completely forgot that it was on that show. Like, the only thing I remember about that show is, like, the dancing baby and all those times they would hang out in the bar after work and, like, that unisex bathroom. Yeah, there was a brief moment that Robert Downey Jr., that was, like, his first comeback in 2000 was he played Ally McBeal's love interest and he was let go from the show when he was busted for drugs in Palm Springs which I remember because I was staying at the same hotel after Thanksgiving with my family when he got busted and my dad was in a hot tub with him earlier in the afternoon and was like you know what good on you man like we're all rooting for you and he was like okay and then he was in the hotel room doing god knows what with women he had just met wait what hotel the hotel is what is now the parker oh shit it was the merv griffin resort in the 90s and early 2000s wow we came back from dinner and there were cops with the sirens on and we all were like oh could you imagine if it was him and it was it's inspiring that he's turned his life around and good for him slay queen thanks to as he said in his speech his his caretaker who is his wife, Susan. What else? I mean, if I were a betting person, which thank God I wasn't, I thought Barbie was a shoe-in for a bunch of awards, including Ryan Gosling for Best Comedic Actor, Screenplay, Best Comedy, but all that stuff went to poor things. And Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I was annoyed that Barbie didn't get more things, but obviously... I don't want to shit on movies I haven't seen and say that they shouldn't have won. I will see poor things this week, though. As will I. A notable loser, and I'm going to keep this in the back of my mind whenever I feel low, is like, imagine you're Mark Ronson and you are nominated twice for Best Original Song and you still lose to a song that you produced. Or I guess Phineas produced it, but it's all under the Barbie soundtrack. But he posted a photo of him, of his two ripped up award speeches. Aww. Well, hopefully he'll win for I'm Just Ken at the Oscars. Fingers crossed. Because Billie Eilish doesn't need two Oscars. I'm sorry. She doesn't need to have two more Academy Awards than Annette Benny. This was a pretty forgettable Golden Globes, but do you have any high or low points of the award ceremony? Well, I do want to note that Australia really cleaned up. I only noticed because I'm here, but Elizabeth Debicki, Sarah Snook, Margot Robbie all got awards. Those are the queens. Those are the Aussie queens. I just like to think that you had all the windows open and you could hear at the beach people celebrating. (laughs) No, I don't think anyone really watches the Golden Globes here. Like, I feel like I'm the only freak that's watching this shit at like 11 a.m. I thought a high point was the design of the room this year seemed better over past years. Okay, but no one could get to the stage. But no one can ever get to the stage. This is the problem when you mash up all the TV and movie categories together. There's just not enough room. But it was extra bad this year. Like, there was people that I was concerned, like, are they even going to get there? This year, a lot of people seemed scared trying to get to the stage, and that felt new. Yeah. I think a low point, it must have been towards the end of the evening when the room evidently smelled like hot sushi, just going by the amount of presenters who made that reference. Right, because Nobu catered it. Yes, Robert De Niro stays winning. (laughs) I guess the only thing left to talk about is Timothée and Kylie. 
stealing all the focus, stealing everyone's thunder. It is pretty rare for an A-list celebrity to bring their down low girlfriend. And I'm not saying like she's a side piece or something, but it's like they usually, the girlfriend comes because they don't want that media attention. To be fair, they didn't walk the red carpet together, but she sat next to him. She was his date. You know, even Bradley Cooper, he brought his mom and then had dinner with Gigi Hadid afterwards. That's usually the the celebrity protocol. Yeah, well, she didn't walk the red carpet either. She doesn't want the photos of her to come out. She doesn't want to overshadow Timmy or make his Wonka press tour about their relationship. She also didn't do the carpet at the Wonka premiere. It's obviously very deliberate. All right, should we get into the the controversy or really the fake controversy of the night? Sure. So the show is one, streaming online, but two, as it goes to commercial break, there is B-roll. And at one point, Selena Gomez is talking to Taylor Swift and online lip readers thought that Selena was discussing with Taylor the fact that she tried to take a photo with Timothy and Kylie said no. And that is when Taylor does a very shocked, no. Face. And you say fake news. Selena Gomez and Timothy Chalamet starred in a movie together. She's not some fucking random stand. Why in God's green earth would she ask for a photo from her friend? What movie were they in? A much forgotten pandemic Woody Allen film. Oh, okay. Yikes. But that seems like something that would have happened. Also, again, I'm not the biggest Lena Gomez fan, but it seems like someone should take her phone away from her. She commented on an E! News Instagram story, which said, was Selena Gomez gossiping about Kylie Jenner and Timothy Chalamet at the Golden Globes? Here's the truth. And then she commented, no, I told Taylor about two of my friends who hooked up. Not that it's anyone's business. I love that Taylor is such a pro in that clip. Like she's covering her mouth. Like no one is going to be able to read her lip. These online lip readers are the conspiracy theorists of the gossip world because there was another incorrect lip reading that people swore by, which was John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are on the red carpet. And people swore, Emily Blunt says something to him, and then John Krasinski, they swore, said, I can't wait to be divorced. Even if they might be getting a divorce, why in God's green earth would he say that in front of 10,000 cameras? Someone the other day just did another lip reading that was like, Emily Blunt saying, it is so cold, which it was, and John Krasinski is saying, I can't wait to be indoors, not divorced, indoors. So can we just get one good like lip reader truther to speak the truth in the face of all of this fake news? The other goss that I heard is, I don't know if you noticed Meryl Streep and Martin Short were looking very chummy next to each other. Uh, No, I did not. The rumor is that they're together because she's now divorced and Martin Short's uh, wife passed away a few years ago. Wait, she's divorced from that sculptor dude? Yeah, that was the the whole thing is right after the Jada Pinkett Smith revelation that her and Will Smith had been separated for six years. Like two months later, it came out that her and her husband had been separated for six years and we're now getting a divorce wow wild should we discuss the elephant in the room which is this taylor swift opinion piece that's essentially gayler conspiracy theories okay but did you read this entire article because it was like five thousand words chelsea what kind of degenerate pop culture podcast host do you think i am 
Of course. And I have certain sections clipped out because I would like to discuss them. What's your general take? My general take is that the proof of this article seems to hinge on the dropping of pins as a motif (laughs) in Taylor Swift's work. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to discuss this section, which is sometimes Miss Swift communicates through explicit sartorial choices. Hair, the colors of the bisexual pride flag, or recurring motif of rainbow dresses. She frequently depicts herself as trapped in glass closets or, well, in regular closets. She drops hairpins on tour, as well as uh, paying tribute to the serpentine dance of the lesbian artist Louis Fuller during the Reputation Tour, or referencing the latter, one of the earliest lesbian publications of the United States in her era's tour visuals. Is that true? I don't think that's true. The last thing, I think that's a coincidence. You guys know, those of you who have listened to any episode of this podcast before, I am, of course, a Gaylor truther. I've talked about many of the things that are cited in this article, but even I think that writing a 5,000-word op-ed about this in the New York Times is a little bit unhinged. Every few years, the New York Times drops like a clickbaity, trolley article that I assume is to drive up their subscription base or like make their subscribers like ourselves feel like we're getting our money's worth. Because if you remember a few years ago, there was a viral New York Times, I think also opinion article that gave Peter Luger one star, which to this day, I think Peter Luger and the New York Times were in cahoots to write this one star article. Because what did people want to do after that article? Go to Peter Luger's and see if it's that bad. No, it's so true. I don't know. When you say hairpins or when the author says hairpins, what we're talking about is Easter eggs, essentially, right? And apart from Taylor Swift's song lyrics, Easter eggs have been her preferred mode of communication with her fans, right? Whether it's a music video, a photo shoot, a live performance, etc. So you then kind of can't be upset when you've created this army of little detectives that are reading into every single thing you do. Like, obviously, someone is going to notice that your wig looks like the bisexual pride flag or that you performed maroon on Carly Kloss's birthday. Yes. Well, this is the other part I wanted to discuss with you. Whether she is conscious of it or not, Miss Swift signals to queer people in the language we use to communicate with one another that she has some affinity for queer identity. Is she communicating in the language that that you you guys communicate with one another in? Is this a language I don't understand? Look, if she is not bisexual, then the Lover album is really an example of her allying too close to the sun. Of course, because as this article concludes, there are some queer people who would say that through this sort of signaling, she has already come out, at least to us. <laughs> But what about coming out in a language the rest of the public will understand? Like what? Kissing a woman at the Grammys? Like what is this? I do think this article is crazy, but I also kind of co-sign on aspects of it. Like I honestly don't know what to think. I think the thing about this article that trips me up is that it's weirdly serious. Like I'm into Kaler and Gaylor because it's fun, but this article begins with a reference to Shelley Wright's suicide attempt. That was insane. And by the way, the first three paragraphs are dedicated to this country star's suicide. Yeah. Look, often on this podcast, we're working without a net. There's sometimes no good transition from one topic to the other. So I'm just going to barrel through and give a rundown of the SAG nominations because those dropped. 
Okay, beautiful. Basically, it's everything that was in the Golden Globes nomination, except that May-December was shut out completely, as was Past Lives. So rude. For all three of their performances to be shut out really feels like the SAG voting body saw that film and was like, wait, are they making fun of method acting and actors? Ooh, I don't like this at all. (laughs) Right? It's the euphoria meme. Is this play fucking about us? (laughs) I think you might be right. Because I'm always interested to see who wins SAG Awards because it is such a different voting body, but they missed the mark here. But everything else was kind of like not surprising, right? Yeah, I mean, we've got Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Silly Murphy Oppenheimer, outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role. Uh, Annette Bening made it to female actor in a leading role, along with Lily Gladstone, Carrie Mulligan, Margot Robbie, and Emma Stone. Great. What's interesting about Emma Stone and Poor Things is I wonder if she's going to... Well, no, she's the lead of the film, even though we haven't seen it yet. But oftentimes people will bump down to supporting actor, just kind of up their chances of, of winning an Oscar. Like I imagine Paul Giamatti will be nominated in a supporting role for the holdovers for the Oscars. Okay, you saw the holdovers. How was it? It was lovely. People often say they don't make movies like this anymore, but they really don't make these low stakes films anymore. It's just like a cranky history professor who's stuck babysitting the kids that are left behind at this boarding school, and he bonds with the students. The lead of this film, Dominic Sessa, who, by the way, should play Bob Dylan, or Fabrizio Moretti in a Meet Me in the Bathroom adaptation. (laughs) He had never acted before. The casting director held auditions for people. They shot at a school that he went to, and he auditioned, and he got the lead role of this film. And he's excellent in the movie. You've sold me on it. Well, also, I love Divine Joy Randolph. Like, she slayed in the idol, of course. But I think that's the only thing I've ever seen her in. I was going to say, and she's incredible in this film and will probably win an Oscar for it as well. If I may just do a slight digression back to the Golden Globes. Sure. Paul Giamatti thanked his girlfriend, Clara Wong, who is a younger woman, a very hot woman. Not that I don't think Paul Giamatti can't pull, but I was like, how did these two meet each other? They seem quite different. Um, it turns out that she played the dominatrix character, his dominatrix, on the show Billions. And this has delighted me <laughs> all week. Because, of course, neither of us watch Billions. Oh, ho, ho, ho. my parents watch Billions. <laughs> there are shows, I think we've discussed this before, that like through your parents watching it, you've watched some of it. Like, do I exactly know what Madam Secretary is like? No, but I've watched half of like a dozen episodes with my parents. Yeah, same. Parents love Madam Secretary. Also, the other surprising thing about the SAG Awards is that, Chelsea, it will be airing live exclusively on Netflix. Okay, why not? Well, I hope that Netflix will do a red carpet. The SAG Awards needed a glow up like it's a prestigious award but i would say that most people don't care like if you're not a gay man or an actor like who's watching the sag awards does that mean we get some of the queer eye cast potentially hosting the red carpet wouldn't be the worst idea last week we discussed the movies we were very excited about and lo and behold this week we got a trailer for mother's instinct (laughs) mother's instinct we talked about this last week this is the Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway film. 
this was way more lifetime than I anticipated. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be a little more ice storm and a little less lifetime television for women, but we'll see. Last week, I posited that the plot of the film might have been that, you know, one son causes the other son's death, but this is so much better. <laughs> Anne Hathaway's son dies at, I think, Jessica Chastain's house, and then Anne Hathaway just forms like an unnaturally close attachment to Jessica Chastain's son, which is a subgenre I love as a movie, like Birth, where Nicole Kidman thinks a child is her reincarnated husband and romances him, like love movies like this. Also, we know that they get into a cat fight, which is what makes it very lifetime. I mean, Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain are particularly not just like period face. I've heard it called, uh, they both are actresses that look like they've never seen a smartphone, but they are both 1960s coded as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do not disagree on that front. Also, I am so glad I saw in the doc that you put in the trailer for Love Lies Bleeding, which I've been meaning to talk about with you forever, but I keep forgetting about it. I know this was a huge oversight on our part to not mention things that we're excited for this coming year. I mean, sometimes you can be so excited about something that you forget that it, it's happening. And this was that for us. This is the movie. It's a new A24 film. Kristen Stewart has an excellent mullet. Katie O'Brien plays her girlfriend, a female bodybuilder of some kind. But the fascinating thing is that this actor is actually more butch than Kristen Stewart in real life, but they like femmed her up to play this like random like 80s bodybuilder type chick. Yeah, I couldn't find a description of the plot beyond what we can glean from the trailer. Deadline describes the film as a romantic thriller examining a romance fueled by ego, desire, and the American dream. Which I have to say, I didn't really get any of that in the trailer. I got that like Kristen Stewart's dad is creepy looking Ed <laughs> Harris, who's running guns. Ed Harris with like the most sinister hairstyle I've ever seen, like bald, but just like long hair. Like That's a man that's angry that he was not cast in season one of True Detective. That's what that hairstyle <laughs> says to me. I never care about action thrillers, but obviously I will make an exception for this gay shit. I don't think a, a Marvel character is going to come down or anyone's going to transform into a car or something. I think it's pretty, it's going to be pretty grounded. I also noticed in the credits, Anna Bruznikov is listed. She's the one in the bathroom in the trailer that's talking to Kristen Stewart, I think. This, of course, is Alexander Petrovsky's daughter. The one that's so rude to Carrie in Paris. <laughs> and Jenna Malone is in this film as well. Not that I think we saw her in the trailer, but always a good sign when she's in a movie. So on the plane coming to Australia, I finally watched Past Lives and... Not since I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire on the same flight last year have I cried this hard in a public place. But you watched it a while back, and I remember you saying you didn't love, so please defend your position about past lives. Because I am horrified. Past lives is is lovely. Past Lives is great. It did not hit for me in the way that it obviously has for others, I think for two reasons. One, I watch it after it had been overly hyped. And two, the movie is about 
people who come into our lives that we wonder what what could have been if things were different. Okay, I guess we should just like actually say it's literally about two childhood friends that meet in South Korea that reunite decades later as adults in New York. Continue. I think a lot of people have read the film potentially incorrectly that it is about uh, losing your true love. I think instead it is more about mourning and reflecting on the different lives that you could have had. I mean, it's literally called past lives. Yes. It didn't hit for me just because we all have that person that we wonder what could have been. And I luckily ended up with that person. So I watched the movie with Paul and when it ended, we looked at each other. We were like, yeah, you know, you should probably tell the person you've always been in love with that you love them. I mean, it worked out for us. Okay. So I think you personalize this a little bit too much. (laughs) I completely acknowledge that, but I'm just explaining why it didn't hit for me in the way that it hit for other people. You were just annoyed that they didn't fuck. Sorry, spoiler alert for past lives. That's not, I don't think that's revealing too much about the ending. They don't fuck, but sometimes people shouldn't fuck. Think about Law & Order SVU. What if Olivia Benson and Elliot Stabler had fucked? Would that have been good for the show? Of course not. It's about the sexual tension. That's where the magic is in the sexual tension. By the end of the film, it's like, yeah, they shouldn't end up together. Their lives diverge too differently. There's not... Also, she has a whole ass husband who she seems to be very in love with, and he very much loves her. And I did enjoy her husband's chillness. Like, the subversion of the jealous husband was great throughout the film. Yes, absolutely. Well, it was a complete subversion of the whole traditional love triangle movie trope right like this movie is not sweet home alabama (laughs) i'm just imagining the writer director celine strong going into a24 being like have you seen sweet home alabama (laughs) it's nothing like that no it's nothing like that it has a much more realistic nuanced and dare i say adult perspective on a love triangle which was apparently inspired by this woman's actual real life experience which is extremely touching well i was gonna say the film mirrors a lot of celine strong's own life she was born in korea moved to canada at 12 went to columbia to study playwriting her husband is also a playwright there was nothing about this in the literature but i imagine they met at a writer's retreat like the film i also wanted to mention chelsea uh, celine strong's husband justin kirk kirkus uh, he wrote the screenplay for Challengers. Oh, work. Love a low-key, super talented indie film couple. I don't know. I just loved this movie so much. It's obviously so specific and very much about Korean identity, but it could be universally understood by anyone who has left their hometown and started a new life. Because you always wonder, like, what would happen if I stayed What would that look like? Who would I be with? What would I gain? What would I lose? Blah, blah, blah. You know, would I be the same person? And I feel like this film does such a good job of distilling that. I was so affected by the last scene. I was like a crazy person. It's an incredible debut. And as a wannabe indie filmmaker myself, I think more financiers should give first-time filmmakers $12 million to make their personal films with no what would be called in the industry stars, even though Greta Lee is incredible in this film. 
Well, and she's made a name for herself in this film. And she looks incredibly chic throughout this film also. And incredibly chic in all the Lueve she's been wearing on the red carpet. Good for her. All right. We've really discussed it all. I think there's only one more thing to talk about. Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. You're just a witch, and I hate you. Kendall Jenner is currently reading The Year of Magical Thinking. There's literally no other Kardashian (laughs) news other than this, which was devastating. This shook Chelsea and I to our core. No, it's not devastating. I'm genuinely happy for her. It's a beautiful book. It's not a book that I would read on a beach necessarily, but, you know, it's a book that comes to you when you need it. Or when someone you know dies and someone hands it to you? Yeah, I I would really love to know the person that curates Kendall's books for her of like, what was the logic behind this? Oh, come on. I don't think it's that deep. Although, wait, it is kind of that deep because there is that celebrity book curator. Well, there's the bookcase curator. I mean, I imagine there is someone that is curating the reading rotation for celebrities for sure. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but there was some person that was hired to tell celebrities what books to like carry when they walk out of their house or whatever. But I don't think this was that. Like, it's normal to read The Year of Magical Thinking if you're a L.A. girly. Really, we should think about the trickle-down effect because how many Gen Z, Erewhon, community good girlies that are now going to be introduced to Joan Didion, thanks to Kendall? Yeah, that's going to change someone's life for sure. So good for her. I wish we could have her on just to discuss nothing else but her thoughts on that book. I could ask her AI avatar, Billy. (laughs) Let's save that for next week. You should go. It's late. It's almost the next day here in Los Angeles. I'm sorry for keeping you up, but this was fun. This was delightful. You will be back in Los Angeles next week. We're probably going to record a little bit later just so we can be in person because there is no greater torture for us than having to record remotely. Yeah. So to anyone that's made it this far, I'm sorry. We will be back next week. All right. I love you, Chelsea. Love you, Lauren. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.